You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. There's nothing better in the entire world of sports than pressure. And what particularly makes the beginning of the NFL season feel so much different to me this year is that everywhere you look, you can find pressure on teams, on players, on stars, all coming because we know, particularly this season more than ever, just like we always say in college football, every single game feels like it matters more. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz. Flying solo tonight. Sarah Spain getting the night off. Well-deserved. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And I want you guys to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. I've asked you guys out there in honor of this weekend and everything that's going out there. You got one. You got one thing you can watch this weekend. Only one. No red zone. You got one game you can pick. One movie. One thing you can watch this weekend. You can tweet me at Jason Fitz. What's it going to be? ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back. So are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. Now, it's funny because I, I read that with Dr. Pepper and it makes me think of two years ago right now I was in Ames for the first time that game day had ever been to Iowa State. And one of the things you feel when you're around the game is how much passion there is and how much pageantry there is and how much every single snap seems to have meaning and consequence in college football. We've argued for years it's because of the shorter season, because the way the conferences are laid out. We've always found excuses for it. But I'm not sure that this year, in the NFL particularly, we're not seeing much of the same. And look no further than this weekend to see how much of a pressure cooker there is right now for week one in the NFL. I mean, if you have it in your mind, for example, that a team like the Titans are going to be Super Bowl contenders, and I know everybody in Nashville does. I hear all the time from my Nashville people that the ESPN's down on the Titans, and ESPN has an anti-Titan narrative, which is funny because that's what every fan base says. No, no, there is no anti-anybody narrative. The, the only thing that we're looking for as a national network are for the teams that separate themselves, the teams that rise. You're looking at the Titans taking on the Cardinals. You can't tell me there isn't pressure in that matchup out of the gate. I mean, if you're the Cardinals and you're looking at Kyler Murray and you think you've got an MVP caliber quarterback, you went out, you've got the wide receivers, the weapons, you spent money on the defensive side of the ball, you drafted Rondell Moore, who I think has the opportunity to be a star player in that offense. Well, now there's pressure. Because if you're Cliff Kingsbury, if you opened your basket of ingredients on Chopped and you got all the good stuff and you can't make a good dish, they're not going to blame they're not going to blame the fillet. They're going to blame the chef. Conversely, you look at the Titans. My god, the Titans. Oh, Julio Jones going to be facing number 2 corners? AJ Brown going to go nuts? Ryan Tannehill going to put up MVP like numbers? Derrick Henry going to do what Derrick Henry does. It just never stops. But we all know that this team was hot garbage on the defensive side of the ball last year. Bud Dupree comes in. I'm looking at pressure. Not on any of the people I just mentioned. Pressure on Mike Vrabel. Remember, Mike Vrabel, you're the coach that's supposed to have the acumen around defense. But your team is failing defensively. So how do you go with all of this talent and maximize it? Man, that equals pressure. And that's just one of a loaded lineup of games that revolve around pressure. We've been talking about the Steelers and the Bills all week like it's a matchup, and it isn't. Let me say it loud. The Steelers are going to get thumped by Buffalo. Buffalo is a better team than Pittsburgh. Top to bottom, 
roster construction. Buffalo is a better team with Pittsburgh. You need to get comfortable acknowledging the fact that the Bills belong in the conversation with the Chiefs, not with the Steelers. You need to get comfortable with the fact that this is not the Bills of five years ago. This Bills team is a heck of a lot closer to four straight Super Bowl champion Bills team or Super Bowl appearance Bills team than it is to anything we've seen in the last 20 years. Josh Allen poised to have an MVP caliber season, largely not just because he's gotten better every year, but also because he has all the momentum. We have all the stories around him. And the Steelers are turning around just saying, hey, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, or in this case, the five men behind the curtain known as the offensive line. Pay no attention to the offensive line. It'll be just fine. And if it isn't, don't worry about it. We've got a stoic old quarterback that can't really move around. It'll be fine. It won't. But that gives us pressure out of the gate. Pressure comes from all of this because we we look at some players and some uh, coaches and we want to give benefit of the doubt. Is there any more pressure for a bad matchup? For a bad matchup that you usually wouldn't care about when the schedule came out? You telling me there isn't pressure on Jets, Panthers? My God, if Sam Darnold goes out and balls out, Jets fans are going to be apoplectic. But conversely, if he doesn't, Matt Rule's going to have to start answering questions. Oh, everybody loves the, the environment that Matt Rule can create, right? Well, it's got to happen now because you got Christian McCaffrey. You have talent on that team. It just didn't get done. There's pressure everywhere. And I'm not sure any game is going to have more pressure than the Browns and the Chiefs. I mean, this is a Chiefs team. This is a Chiefs team that the last time we played a football game, when the day started, we were convinced they were butt kickers. When the day started, the last time there was an NFL game that counted, we were convinced the Chiefs were unbreakable, that they were unstoppable, that Patrick Mahomes could do anything. And that didn't happen. Now, remember when we all thought that Mike Tyson would never get beat? When you see Tyson take a hit, what happens? Man, you're not watching for the hit. You're watching for the response to the hit. What's the response like from the Chiefs? And conversely, you want to talk pressure. My God, Cleveland? Cleveland fans have waited so long. Think about what's, what Cleveland is up against in their Week 1 matchup. This is what Bill Barnwell, our great analyst, had to say about what Cleveland needs to accomplish to even attempt to beat the Chiefs. You might get that perfect scenario where everything goes right and you don't need the points, but I don't think that's reality, Scott. The reality is, when you look at Patrick Mahomes' track record, even when they lose games, you got to outscore them and you got to hit 30 points to win. Go through Patrick Mahomes' history, 44-10 and 10 now as a pro starter. Crazy record. Right. And his wins, averaging a little under 31 points per game. So we know, hey, they're going to score a lot of points when they win. Even when the Chiefs lose under Mahomes, though, averaging more than 29 points per game. So even when they lose, they're still going to let the 29. So I think for the Browns, as much as you might want that perfect scenario where you only need 24 to win, Mm -hmm. they got to get to 30. I mean, you want to talk about pressure. Hey, if you want any chance of winning, you better score 30 points. Out of the gate, there is absolutely no grace period. For Baker Mayfield. There's absolutely no grace period for Kevin Stefanski. There's absolutely no grace period for the running game. And there's no grace period left for the roster. 
because the the Browns have something the Browns have had for the last couple of years, and it just stacks every year. Stacks and stacks. Expectation. And with those stacks of expectations come pressure. And the story that we're going to be talking about on Monday won't be any one particular player or any one particular game and the greatness they had. The story that we will be talking about is who handled or didn't handle the pressure. And that is ultimately not just going to define week one in this NFL season. I believe it will define the entirety of what we're about to see. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $700 on average. All right, we're going to keep breaking down everything to look for this weekend. Like I said, you can tweet me, Nat Jason Fitz. We're going to take calls a little later on the one game that you absolutely have to watch this weekend. We'll get to that later in the show. But I have a message for Cowboys Nation following last night's loss to the Bucks and some people that work for this network to call out. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. I got to get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. All right. I said this on the ESPN Radio Sports Beat, and I hope you guys listen to those because I, I really love doing it. It's my chance to talk to everybody and give somebody a little bit of what's on my mind. But I have to, to call out every hot take that you've heard on the Cowboys because how many times are we going to be grossly wrong about everything that's going on in Dallas before any of us have the you-know-whats to stand up and say, Oops, my bad. I'm done trying to figure this out. Like, if you've ever dated somebody that's crazy, right? You know that. You know she's crazy. He's crazy. Whoever your partner is. You start in a normal relationship. You feel like everything's fine. You try to anticipate it. You try to use logic. And at some point, you realize logic no longer works. You're dating somebody that's crazy. What do you do at that point? You throw your hands up. You look at your friends and say, can't predict it. Crazy. Wild ride. In fact, I'll throw myself under the bus. I've done this many times. The night before Khalil Mack was traded, I came on ESPN Radio. I was a guest on a show as the resident Raiders guy, and I was asked if the Raiders were going to trade Khalil Mack. I said, 0% chance that it happens, and I gave my logic. John Gruden doesn't like uh, rookies. He doesn't need draft picks. There's nothing they're going to get back in return. All sound logic that I stood by, but the next morning, I woke up to hundreds of texts because I had been that wrong on national radio. Sometimes... The most important thing you can do is just step up and say, I got this one wrong. And that's what we've been doing as sports media for the last two years with Dak. My God, we were convinced that Dak Prescott was never going to get a big deal. The Cowboys don't love him. Even when smart Cowboys reporters said, no, actually, they love him so much they want to do a longer deal. He doesn't want to do a longer deal. The Cowboys are in love with Dak. We said, no, it doesn't make any sense because they haven't paid him yet. Look at who they have paid. They haven't paid him yet. Then what happened? He got a massive contract. My guy got paid, right? It's not going anywhere. Then Dak gets hurt. He gets hurt, and he doesn't come back in the preseason. What did we spend the entire preseason doing for the love of God? Oh, he must not be getting healthy because he didn't get in. And the Cowboys wanted to play him. And now there's some hesitation. I mean, there was a real conversation about whether or not the Cowboys should be looking at Cam a week and a half ago. That was real. At some point, we've all got to step up and say, oops, my bad. Because it's not just that Dak Prescott balled out. Let me say this so clearly. It's not his performance. It's the game plan that proves we were all wrong. 
It's the game plan the Cowboys walked into. You're talking about somebody that hadn't played meaningful football in almost a year, right? You're talking about somebody that didn't play a single snap in preseason. You're talking about somebody that we kept looking at saying, oh my God, there has to be some rust. But the people that see him every day, the people that follow him in practice, decided that the appropriate game plan was to have him throw 58 times. Even if your coaching staff is downright stupid, they're not going to put a quarterback they don't believe in out there throwing 58 times in an NFL game. It's not going to happen. So at some point, we have to turn around and just acknowledge what we saw. Dak's just fine. In fact, Dak's better than just fine. Forgive me, Cowboys fans. Dak's damn good. That's the take. Dak's going to be great. And it may not win him games. It may not fix everything, but we've got to start admitting that we have been credibly wrong about Dak. But in order to do that, we also have to admit that there are times that this offense might not look the way we think it should. Chris Canty was on ESPN Radio earlier talking about why the Cowboys aren't focusing on running the ball and what it could all mean. I think this is a trend with the Dallas Cowboys offense under Mike McCarthy. I mean, if you look at the five games last year that Dak played in, and then you couple that with what we saw last night, Dak Prescott is averaging 50 feet dropbacks in that offense under Mike McCarthy. So I'm starting to wonder whether or not Mike McCarthy values Zeke Elliott to the point that we see with his pay scale that the organization did prior to his arrival. Like, it just feels like Mike McCarthy can take it or leave it when it comes to Zeke Elliott being a bell cow running back because he doesn't necessarily value the position like Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones once upon a time did That that and what led to prompting them to pay Zeke Elliott that kind of money. So I, I don't know, man. I, I'm starting to lean toward this is who the Dallas Cowboys offense is going to be under Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy. Now, that is sound logic. It's Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight, giving you the straight talk, straight talk wireless, no contracts, no compromise. That's sound logic. The only thing is that it doesn't take into account the opponent. And that's something that I even heard them discussing this morning. I think it was uh, it was Ryan Clark that was questioning whether or not Zeke can be great and Dan Graziano saying, I can't believe I have to explain how football works. But there is some element of, hey, let's acknowledge the game plan. We were all watching the same broadcast last night, right? I mean, we all saw the stats. Great running backs aren't great against the Bucs. That's not a hot take. Like, great running backs are not great against that Tampa Bay front. And they went in knowing, straight away, at the end of the day, they weren't going to be able to run the ball effectively. So knowing that they weren't going to be able to run the ball effectively, then it became more important to, I don't know, Pass the ball effectively, which, by the way, they did. I mean, we can sit there and say it's a habit. We can sit there and say it's a pattern. But what do I always ask coaches to do? What I want a coach to do is not come in and say, this is what we're going to do uh, based on what I love. I want a coach to look at it and say, what's our best opportunity? And when we know what our best opportunity is, how do we attack this team the right way? It's a very simple principle. To come in and say, hey, here is, again, I'll use the chopped analogy. If we know it's the dessert round and you've been handed these certain things, you're going to have to change what you're making in order to get yourself a winning dish. I think we could actually, as unpopular as it is to credit coaches, as unpopular as it is to credit players, isn't it at least possible 
at least possible that what the Cowboys did was looked at it and said, all right, we're not going to beat this team running the football, especially without Zach Martin. But we can beat this team throwing the ball. And we believe in our quarterback so dang much that that's the approach we're going to take. I know that doesn't make for as good a hot takes, but how many times are we going to be wrong on all of this? Because realistically, what we saw last night was a Cowboys team that looks pretty darn good with a defense that looked like it was much better than we expected and an offense that looked really good coming in, especially the passing game. We all know that, right? That's what we saw. On the other side of it, we saw a Buccaneers team that looks really good. All right, we saw we saw a Buccaneers team that found a way to win and a Buccaneers team that looks beatable. That didn't look like a world beater. That wasn't the 18-0 Patriots. That wasn't some sort of, oh, my God, you can never stop this team. It was just a really good football team. So at the end of the day, two things that I'm sure of at the end of that game, Dak Prescott's going to be just fine. And importantly, so are my nipples. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We'll keep the, the NFL talk coming throughout the course of the night, obviously, but there are huge storylines for week two of college football. We'll bring on one of my favorite experts to break them all down for you next. Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz, flying solo on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're going to get uh, your thoughts. You got one. Only one thing you can watch all weekend. It could be one game. It could be one movie. Whatever, one, whatever. But you only get one, and you can't make it the red zone. You can't cheat any of that. You got to pick one. What's the one going to be? We're getting some great tweets on it, at Jason Fitz. We'll take some calls on it a little later. Great way to get to talk about a bunch of different NFL and college football games. College football, obviously, is back. Tune in tomorrow. Tennessee hosts Pittsburgh in a very big game, uh, especially for Tennessee. Presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Now, I'm just going to tell you, honestly, if you want to be the smartest person that walks into the bar or to your buddies at night, about college football on Saturday, you should make listening to College Game Day on ESPN Radio a habit because the guys that work on that show not only are smarter than all the rest of us, but they they present the information in a way that sticks with you. It's really amazing work. And that's Matt Schick, my buddy Harry Douglas, that I do digital shows with, and our guest now, Trevor Maddich. They're there every single Saturday for you. Uh, Trevor joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's always curious to me because week one has so much momentum and sometimes we forget week two has every bit as much. So, Trevor, when I say week two in college football, what's the one matchup you think that that just casual fans will be the most excited about? I think Oregon at Ohio State. This one has been circled uh, the entire offseason, ever since, really, it's been put up there before the offseason. Ohio State was supposed to go out to play at Oregon last year, but COVID canceled that. And I'll guarantee you, Fitz, the Buckeyes would have walked into Austin Stadium in Eugene, Oregon, for their walkthrough. And saw, and they would have thought that this thing is really small because you can put Austin Stadium inside of Ohio State Stadium and lose it there. It would be gone in the horseshoe. You wouldn't be able to see it. But when that thing is full of Ducks fans, there is no louder stadium I have ever been in. And it's unfortunate that Oregon didn't get a chance to play the Buckeyes last year in their home environment. Well, now they're coming out to, to Columbus, and they're playing this year, and they're good enough to pull this thing off. The big question is, will their defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau, be able to play? He's the best pass rusher, the best defensive football player 
in all of college football. He got his leg rolled up last week in the opener against Fresno State. So that will be a, a huge question. But even without Thibodeau, this is a fast, aggressive, complete Oregon roster. And Ohio State had better be ready for it. Yeah, you mentioned Thibodeau, and by the way, for anybody that hasn't watched a lot of college football, start watching him now, watch all the tape on him. He's going to be a top pick in the draft. So if he's not there for Oregon, how do they have to adjust their game plan to still win? Well, they'll have to figure out new ways to get pressure on C.J. Stroud. If they leave him in the pocket, those receivers will eventually get open because the Buckeyes receiving core is probably the best overall top to bottom in the country. And you can't give Stroud time to throw. You've got to pressure him. So I'm sure they'll bring some more linebackers, some more safeties. If Thibodeau is there, they won't have to bring those extra guys. And the interesting thing is, Fitz, I was watching tape on him for a breakdown for SportsCenter. Now, we'll see uh, if we do that breakdown you know, tomorrow, depending on what we might know about whether or not he'll play. But I was watching on tape looking for all the great ways that he beats people. And then I kept on noticing that the guys he was beating were guys that are in the NFL right now. Hmm. So I put together a tape that shows him absolutely annihilate Elijah Vera Tucker for USC last year. Vera Tucker just couldn't block him. Well, a few week, or a few months after that game was played between Oregon and USC, the Jets made Vera Tucker their first-round draft choice, and he is starting for them as a rookie this year. And he couldn't block Kayvon Thibodeau. So the next play, he's playing a couple of years ago against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, uh, and he moves inside over center Tyler Biotish, one of the best centers in college football. And a few months after that game, Biotish was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, and he's starting at center for Dallas right now. And he couldn't block Kayvon Thibodeau. And so Ohio State, their offensive line has some of the best pass blockers in college football this year. But so were those other guys. And so really, the, the, if he doesn't play or if he is not fully uh, physically able to be who he normally is on the field, it will make a big difference in this game. We're talking to Trevor Maddich on Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. The other side of Ohio State is that Minnesota obviously ran the ball really effectively from the uh, against them, but Minnesota has a very particular way they run the ball. Is there anything that can be taken from that in your mind that's a blueprint for other teams? Well, it was running back, make guys miss. I mean, uh, Ibrahim, uh, Mo, Ibrahim, Ibrahim, I want to make sure I say that correctly. Uh, at running back for Minnesota, will be making NFL defenders miss next year. And he made a whole bunch of Buckeyes miss. But then in the second half, he suffered a season-ending injury, and that's really when Ohio State's defense was able to clamp down. Now, Oregon has some very good running backs, including C.J. Verdell, who very quietly is one of the best running backs in the country. He's got power. He's got speed. And the Buckeye defense, while it's stout on the D-line, has three new starting linebackers. And those guys missed a bunch of tackles. And they were out of position a lot in the opener last week against Minnesota. And so if they're out of position and miss tackles again against Verdell, he'll burn them just like Ibrahim did. But if they are able to square themselves away, get their heads into the game from an assignment standpoint the way they should, then it should be a completely different-looking performance by the Buckeyes' defense. But until they prove it, I will hold my judgment in abeyance.
So another running back, uh, well, I should say another team that ran the ball well was Iowa. And I'll be the first to admit I was wrong. I did not think Iowa would do that to Indiana. Uh, They absolutely just throttled Indiana. And now they get Iowa State. The first time this has ever been both teams in the top 10 for this matchup. Game day is going to be there. Uh, Iowa State struggled against uh, Northern Iowa, which is also crazy to say. So how much of week one actually plays into how you see this sort of a rivalry matchup in week two? Well, I think there are a lot of things that fans can look at to anticipate what might happen here. It's, first of all, the struggles that Iowa State had with Northern Iowa last week are normal for Iowa State. They normally struggle in their open. I mean, last week, Louisiana, a very good team, came up to Ames and beat Iowa State outright. So that's kind of normal. Iowa, you can look at their win against Indiana and see some great things. The defense completely smashed. Indiana's terrific offense. The Iowa running game was dominant, but Iowa's offensive performance is a bit skewed if you look at just the numbers because there were two pick sixes by the defense. So the defense scored two of their touchdowns. And the passing attack of Iowa, Spencer Petras at quarterback, has not shown yet this year that they can be better than they were last year. Petras was under 50% in his completions against Indiana and only gained 145 yards through the air. So, you know, I expect this to be a tight, low-scoring game. But I think the thing that will be different from last week is that Iowa State will bounce from week one to week two. That's what they always do. And the thing that will be the same is that Iowa will continue to struggle through the air. We're talking to Trevor Maddich. You can listen to him on College Game Day on ESPN Radio. Another big matchup in my mind this weekend, Texas. Uh, there was some speculation they might struggle week one. They did not. Big win for them. But now they get an Arkansas team that seems to have a fired-up defense, particularly that wants to get out and prove some people wrong. What kind of competition can Arkansas be for Texas? I think it could be good. I mean, you just institutionally, going back a ways, you've got an Arkansas team that you know is in the old uh, southwest conference with texas and so fans will like that these current players won't but but there'll be a lot there the real question for texas will be can they continue to grow especially on defense offensively i think they did really well against louisiana last week defensively pretty good too but really the big question for texas was quarterback how would hudson card do and he did exceptionally well he had a very quarterback rating is scored this way. 100 is perfect, 50 is average. Hudson Card was 90.9 out of 100, and that includes throwing and running the ball. So he did really well. Casey Thompson, the guy he competed for for the job with, also did a really good job when he came in late in the game. But when it comes down to what Texas can do, Texas is the only team that can beat Texas in this game. And really, I think a lot of people consider Texas a bit of an also-ran of the Big 12 right now because they are looking at Oklahoma and Iowa State. But Texas very quietly has one of the best running backs in the country, Bijan Robinson, a quarterback who seems to get hot in Hudson Card and a defense that's swarming again. So, you know, I don't know who Texas really is this year yet, but I'm very confident that they're a lot better than Arkansas. You guys should just keep the radio on ESPN all night, and then tomorrow make sure you check out College Game Day on ESPN Radio. Trevor Maddich hangs out there with Matt Schick and Harry Douglas throughout the day. Gives you the best coverage you're going to get anywhere. As always, my friend, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks for hanging out with me. Fitz, thanks for having me on, man. It's great to join you. 
Trevor Maddich giving you all the breakdowns. He's brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear more driven. I am excited to look at some of these matchups over the course of the weekend. But as much as we're talking about the NFL and as much as we're talking about college football, it is a massive week from Major League Baseball. We're going to get you caught up on some of what you need to know about this weekend and the latest on Trevor Bauer. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, my God. I mean, it just feels like right now everything that he sneezes at goes over the wall as Vlad continues to have an incredible, incredible run right now. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, We're asking you guys to chime in, by the way, on the show. You got one. The one thing that you're going to watch this weekend. You can only pick one. What's it going to be? We're getting tons of tweets out there. Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, Justin uh, Justin Rubin uh, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Jason Fitz at Spain and Fitz, uh, giving us Packers at Saints in Jacksonville with the hashtag Whodat. Totally forgetting that that game is taking place in Jacksonville. So lots of options out there on the one game that you're going to watch this weekend. And in about ten minutes, we're going to open up the phone lines and let you guys chime in. Triple eight say ESPN eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. Rare that we open up the phone lines. So we'll have a little bit of fun with you guys. I'll also get thoughts from the guys on the show on the one that they have to watch. But in the meantime, Major League Baseball needs to be a part of this conversation, right? Like, this is a massive weekend, and this has been a huge time over the course of the last week, week and a half for baseball. I'll admit, you guys know, I'm not somebody that considers myself a baseball guy. But I will say that one of the joys of getting to cover uh, baseball so much for Sports Nation, I'm on every Monday and Friday on the ESPN app, check it out, is that I get to do Filter Flight, which is one of our segments where we break down some of the best uh, pitching and hitting over the course of Major League Baseball over the last few days. And some of the tears we're seeing right now are unreal. By the way, everybody's got a cousin from Boston who forgets their wallet at dinner, but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that, the Boston Beer Company. Uh, Boston, Massachusetts, savor the flavor responsibly. Uh, When you start to look at what we've seen, and by the way, for anyone that hasn't seen this little nugget, love it. The Yankees just got uh, beaten their series by the uh, Blue Jays. What's of significance of that is it's the first time since 1924 that they've made it through an entire homestand in a series without ever having a lead. Think about that. When you want to talk about, holy, you know what, how the blank did we get here? If you're a New York baseball fan, And it's funny because it doesn't matter at this point. Like, I'm just saying, in general, I know Mets fans and Yankees fans don't often play Kumbaya by the campfire. This might be a year where you want to. Like, you just go into the bar and say, let's buy drinks for everybody because this has gone to you-know-what for all of us. And this is not what was expected. And then you start looking across the board at what's going to happen over the course of the next few days. By the way, the Blue Jays, uh, through that course of that series, are now shaking up the wild card race in the AL. Uh, they enter tonight with eight straight wins, 11 of the last 12. With the sweep of the Yankees, they're now within a half a game of the Yankees for the second wild card spot. And it's not just that they're winning the games. It's that they're making it look easy in the process. And this is a Yankees team that, frankly, we've been forgiving for the last couple of weeks for playing like dog what. You know, like this is this is a Yankees team that we laughed at last week when I came in and I was like, somebody explained to me how the Yankees are managing to lose consistently to the Orioles. Like the Orioles are an absolute dumpster fire of a baseball team. And the one thing that seems to set that fire out uh, is playing the Yankees. Cures all of the evils for the Orioles. It makes no sense. And everybody can say, well, you know, sometimes it's just the matchups, just the way it goes. Okay, well, at what point do we stop making those excuses and start saying, hey, maybe it's just your team can't hit? Like, I mean, I'm not trying to make life really oversimplified. I'm not. 
But if you can't hit a baseball, you aren't going to win very many games. And the Yankees are dealing with that right now. They're not the only team, by the way, that is not meeting any of their expectations. I mean, the Padres came in hot, 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 hot. Remember when we started the year and I started my Major League Baseball bachelor process trying to pick a favorite team? Everybody telling me, oh, you got to keep the Padres on your list. They're going to be good. They're going to be good. Well, they start a 10-game, 10-day trip tonight that's going to take them through L.A., San Francisco, and St. Louis. Entering the season opener Friday night at Dodger Stadium, they have a one-game edge over the Reds in the race for the second National League wildcard spot. The Phillies, Cardinals, Mets in the picture as well. You start thinking about that for the Padres, for the amount of money they spent, for a bunch of young players that are dynamic, right? For a bunch of young guys that are going to be fun to watch, the results still have to happen. The results have to be there for this to feel any different. And they're just not... They're not. Ultimately, though, that makes everything more exciting. I feel like we've sort of undervalued the marathon that this Major League Baseball season has been and how unpredictable it's felt. Raise your hand if you thought that the Giants would be up on the Dodgers at this point in the season. Keep your hand up there now so I know who the liars in the room are. Like, it's that simple. Nobody thought that this was happening. To me, you've got to look across this and say, for a sport that has been given a lot of difficulty over the years, or a lot of a lot of grief, I should say, over the years for being overly predictable at times. Just go out, buy you a championship. That's not working. I, I think what we're going to see over the course of the weekend is actually spectacular. Uh, the the Giants have a magic number of six to clinch a postseason berth. The Dodgers eight, and they're not far behind. And the Giants and the Dodgers are done playing each other for the year. That's the most significant part of that. Like the Giants are sitting where they are, and they've gone through beef to get there. Like, this isn't one of those, well, they haven't played anybody and this is going to normalize itself over the last month of the season. It's not. Those two teams are done with their own head-to-head heavyweight battles. So now what we have left, man, is an opportunity for the Giants to, I won't say coast, but my God, every time we've talked to a Major League Baseball expert, I feel like every single one of them has said, well, this is the time when the Giants are going to start to disappear and the Dodgers are going to take over never happens. So at some point, we all have to turn around and say, hey, maybe we were wrong. That's like the theme tonight. Maybe we were wrong about the Giants, and maybe it's time to admit that even if it doesn't make any sense, they are where they are because they belong there. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to tune into a Crosstown Rivalry tomorrow night. Mets host the Yankees. I just said they should all buy each other a drink. Nothing like doing it while you're playing a game in person. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Also want to make sure everybody knows that Trevor Bauer's season is now over. Its administrative leave has been extended throughout the postseason. So this is according to ESPN's Jeff Passan. The MLB and MLBPA agreed to extend Bauer's administrative leave. A league official told Passan no new info was surfaced in the investigation into sexual assault allegations. Uh, He's out for the rest of the year. It's just an acknowledgement from the union and the league that MLB's investigation into him is still ongoing in the season waning. He's not going to have time to return this year. I I I need you to hear that if you're an NFL fan. Because what we just saw is the most powerful union in sports, arguably, one of, and the owners working together to figure out a reasonable solution as best they can in a difficult time. Are you watching that, NFL? Are you watching that, Demora Smith? Are you watching that, Roger Goodell?
because the NFL hasn't done a thing about Deshaun Watson, and I understand that everybody's going to tell me about process and what still has to happen. Well, as that process is ongoing, just as it is with Trevor Bauer, as that process is ongoing, the best thing that everybody could do is come up with the solution that keeps Deshaun Watson as far away from the Texans and the NFL as possible. But they refuse to act. So how is it that an NFL Players Association that seems to lack power and owners that know that that Players Association lacks power, how is it that those groups have not been able to find any sort of a solution that takes the Deshaun Watson conversation out of the lexicon of covering the NFL for the rest of this season? Until they do that, I'm just going to keep looking at it nodding my head and saying good on you, Trevor Bauer, or good on you, Major League Baseball, for how you're handling Trevor Bauer, I should say. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. You got one. What's the one game you're going to be watching this weekend? Triple eight, say ESPN. You guys can chime in. Spain and Fitz, we're going to do that next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. In my time at ESPN, I've been in basically every time slot you could ever imagine. I've been late, I've been early, I've been midday. But one thing has been consistent on Fridays during football season. Three words. You got one. This is the way it works. All you have to do is tell me what you're watching and why. The rules are simple. You can only watch one thing. It can't be Red Zone. There's no cheating. I don't care if you're all in on the new Marvel movie, if it's a college football game, if it's a weird like soccer matchup nobody's ever heard of, if it's a rugby thing. I don't care. What I care about is that you be passionate about it. And this is when we're going to let you take the show over and do it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, all of our guests, and that means you join us on the Goodyear hotline triple eight say ESPN 888-729-3776 that's how it goes now uh you guys know the rules in general I'm having a great day you're having a great day so when I bring you on there's no need to ask how our days are going because they're already spectacular it's week one of the NFL season all right so we know we're hype we know we're good I'm gonna get to you and then all you got to tell me is what the game is why and be ready to back it up let's get to the phone lines, Kevin in Dallas. Thanks for calling Spain and Fitz, man. What do you got? What's your one game? Texans and the Jaguars. Oh, okay. Now I am shook. Texans Jaguars is the one thing you're tell me for the love of God why Texans Jaguars. Well, as Keyshawn would say, if you think about it, <laughs> if the Texans lose, they get the number one pick. They ain't gonna win another game. The Jaguars probably pull out another one somewhere along the line. And there you go. Who's number one quarterback they're going to pick next year? Oh, so you're angling for – well, look. Uh, so, Kevin, you're a, you're a Texans fan. I'm taking it at this point. Well, I was until they dropped everybody. But, oh, I mean, fair. I might be coming back around. All right. Well, I'll give you this. And thanks for the call, man. I appreciate your call on it. This is the, the, the one thing I would tell you for hope. Even if you end up with the second pick of the draft, I do think you're right. The Texans are going to have the first pick in the draft. And I think the Jags are probably going to win a few more games than we expect. But even if you're right and you think that the Jags might get that top overall pick, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starting quarterback. You're getting a quarterback either way. All right, you're getting a quarterback either way. And by the time we get through this season, I think there's going to be two or three quarterbacks everybody's in love with, especially if the North Carolina kid Sam Howell continues to not play better than he played in week one for North Carolina. All right, Justin in Phoenix, thanks for calling Spain and Fitz. You got one. What's the one going to be? Famous Jameis and the Saints against the Packers. 
All right, who you got in that one? I'm looking for famous James. I got the Saints. I'm looking for Jameis to throw more touchdowns and interceptions, and the Saints going to win. Woo, that's a big, bold prediction. I think you're absolutely wrong. I think that they're going to get totally rolled. But I appreciate the call. Like I, I'm all in on that. Uh, and, look, I'd love for New Orleans to do well in that. I just uh, I have a hard time, man. It's a lot to replace. Justin in Arkansas. Justin, thanks for calling Spain and Fitch. You got one. What's the one game going to be? My Arkansas Razorbacks versus the Texas Longhorns. Sneaky good game, all right. How are you feeling about this one? Uh, unfortunately, I think Texas is probably too good. Um, probably 27-24, Texas. Uh, look, I, I don't know that you're wrong, uh, but I also want to say that I think I'm starting to believe in Arkansas. Like, sneakily, had the chance in one of my college football shows last week to talk to a couple of the guys on their defensive side of the ball. Man, they got a swagger. You feel good about Arkansas overall, for, like, moving forward? I, I, I think we're we, – we've got the swagger. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Sam Pittman is the truth, and I think he's going to lead us back to the promised land. Yeah, Justin, thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. I, I don't think you're wrong. I think Sam Pittman's turning this program around, and just, again, talking to guys that are playing for him, man, something is connecting. And when you feel that happen at the college level, it genuinely usually gets results. Let's go to LC in Texas. LC, thanks for calling the show. What do you got? What's your one game you're watching? Hey there. I'm going to watch some good Texas high school football got uh, Midland Legacy, formerly Midland Lee, playing Arlington Martin in the former Texas Rangers baseball stadium, now converted to a football stadium. That's God. That's just one thing to love about Texas. Good Lord. All right. Who's going to win the game? Got to be Midland Legacy. All right, let's get Midland Legacy a little bit of love there, LC. Thanks for calling the show, man. I love that. That's what I love about this segment. You find so many different passions from so many people. Keith in Georgia, you got one. What's it going to be? Hey, it's a little off the beaten path, but the racing at Kentucky Downs Race Course this weekend goes from a purse of 125000 all the way up to a million dollars for two races with the best jockeys and horses in the country. Not a typical thing, but it's, it's something that's very exciting for this one weekend. Oh, heck yeah, Keith. Thanks for the heads up, man. As a Nashville guy, I love Kentucky Downs. I'm just telling you, like, and, and I'm not very good at gambling, but man, that kind of purse, I might have, maybe I gotta, like, dabble a little bit. I might have to call, like, Kazarian or something and see if I can get some advice on that. Speaking of Doug's, Doug, I'll be your Doug. Doug in Alabama. Doug, what's your one that you're watching this weekend? Texas Jaguars, because I've been with this team day one with David Carr was getting pounded behind that offensive line. So Watson or no Watson, I'm with this team, and I smell a two and fourteen coming up. But I'm with the team. I, look, I appreciate the call. That gives us two calls for Texans Jaguars, which, by the way, you should listen to on ESPN Radio. Tune in for a football doubleheader Sunday. Texans battle the Jags, followed by Dolphins at Patriots. Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. I so, can't believe that that so works. Doug, yes, he's gone now, but uh, two and fourteen not possible. So are they winning three or are they not? I mean, I, I'm going to say two and fifteen. Look, I think, I think two, two and fifteen is safe. A two and fifteen actually feels about right for this Texans team, but. You know, these are the sorts of the years where you can just watch it and, like, in, like, I don't know that you enjoy losing that way, but I remember the year that the Raiders started 0-10, and I finally saw Derek Carr win a game as a rookie starter, and there was such a sense of, like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. Let's get one more. Dave in North Carolina. You got one, Dave. What's it going to be? 
Uh, good good evening, first of all. Uh, my one is going to be the Bears and Rams. Since I work for Costco, I have to work on Sunday, and that's the only game I'm going to be able to watch. Oh, that stinks. Costco, give him more options. Come on. How can you sell me toilet paper and massive packs and not at least give him more games to watch, man? Thanks for the call. brother out, man. <laughs> Oh, at least it's a good game. I, I will say that. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate that. That is what I'm talking about. That's some you got one. You can keep tweeting me at Jason Fitz. That's the way you can get in more conversation on the one game you have to watch this weekend. Love how much variety we got out of it over the course of that time. Uh, also, we've had a ton of uh, a ton of people chime in. Uh, Siggy said on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, uh, news from Spain and Fitz Nation, he said, Steelers, Bills, black and gold for life. A lot, of, a lot of people just excited for their teams. I totally get it. I understand it. We'll keep reading some of those tweets. We might get some more calls in as the show goes on. Plus, I'll get the guys' thoughts from behind the scenes. But in the meantime, how important is week one for the Browns? I think it's huge. We'll talk to somebody that knows the team well next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. In fact, all of ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. want to take a quick second and just say, uh, you guys rock. Uh, that was a lot of fun to go through. You got one and get so many thoughts on so many different games on the one thing that you absolutely have to watch. Still getting a bunch of tweets. We'll get some of those in over the course of the, the rest of the show. But I just, uh, anytime we open up the phone lines, you guys deliver in such great ways. It's a great way for us all to connect. So I really appreciate everybody that takes the time and gives us the opportunity to share a little of that time with you just to talk about sports. Uh, in the meantime, I think one of the most important matchups this weekend is in Cleveland, or is for Cleveland, I should say, is the the Browns take on the Chiefs. So to get a little insight on that, we head over to the Goodyear Hotline, where we're joined by Greg Brenda from WTAM in Cleveland. Greg, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out every year it feels like there's such great expectations on Cleveland. Why is this year different in their ability to meet whatever that expectation is? Well, I think it's um, it's finally realistic that they have a great well, I don't want to say great football team, but a team capable of going to the Super Bowl. And quite honestly, we haven't been able to say that. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm being serious since the 1987 Browns uh, team that was anchored by Bernie Kosar. Think about that. That's 1987. 89, they went to the um, uh, AFC Championship game. But that uh, that team was starting to get a little old, and Bernie had a hurt finger, and chances of them getting past the Denver Broncos that year were not very good. Um, you know, Bill Belichick took over in the early 90s, and in 94, um, I think there was a bit of some false hope about the Browns. Um, I, I never, I thought it was a good team, but I never thought that Vinny Testaverde would be a quarterback that would be able to take them to the Super Bowl, and obviously that didn't happen. It was a great win over the New England Patriots in the postseason, but then uh, the Browns lost to the Steelers, so uh, and then the Browns left and came back, and we had literally 20 years of futility. So, like I said, <laughs> it was it's been a long time. And when we're talking about the 80s, it's uh, you got to really check yourself and say, really, and yeah, really. Which is amazing when you think about it, and you put it that way. To me, one of the things that's really been fun to watch in this offense, we we are so as a society 
quarterback consumed, everything has to be about Baker. I keep looking, though, at Kevin Stefanski's a job of getting two different running backs integrated in such impactful ways. Is that something that you think carries forward this year as well? Well, I think it's something that we've talked about a lot. You know, last year um, uh, you had Chubb and then you brought on Kareem Hunt. And, you know, Hunt had a lot to prove uh, to himself, to the league, uh, staying out of trouble. And he's done that. And uh, we saw what he did in Kansas City, what a great uh, running back he was. And I think now the question is, is uh, do you play these guys at the same time? Can you incorporate an offense with other great weapons that you have? Is there room for a hub and uh, uh, or a hunt and chub at the same time? And I think that's something that I think is still going to be a work in progress and something that I think uh, Stefanski and his offensive brain trust are going to kind of throw in each and every week. What, what, what to expect from the Browns? And like I said, um, the Browns have two outstanding running backs. Man, there are teams that are searching for one decent running back, and the Browns have two outstanding running backs. And the question is, how do you use them effectively together, not together, but make that a, a supreme weapon? And I think uh, we're going to find out through the course of this season. We're talking to Greg, Greg Brenda from WTAM in Cleveland on Spain and Fitz. Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, I'm, I'm also trying to figure out, and, and again, this is not any knock on Baker Mayfield. I think that the offense, sure. when you've got the, the running power that they have, it just became so effective. They became an efficient offense, it felt like, as the year went on last year, but not necessarily a big threat bomb offense for some of the season. Do you expect that to change this year? Well, I think you have one more year of Baker Mayfield maturing. Remember, uh, he had gone through a number of offensive coordinators, head coaches. I mean, the Freddie Kitchens experiment was a, a, just an unmitigated disaster. It was, I mean, it set him back. Uh, that whole year was like uh, a year that should not have happened. Um, he, re, he honestly rebounded splendidly as the season wore on yesterday uh, or uh, last year. Um, remember, he had a pretty darn good rookie season. I'll tell you, I was watching games and I'm going, it was hard to imagine Baker Mayfield being a rookie, but he was, and he was he was doing a lot of right things. And then again, the next year you you had Freddie Kitchens, and that just was, uh, that, that was a tortured disaster. He rebounded last year. Um, I will tell you this, Baker Mayfield is not any of the Browns' problems. He's going to be part of the solution offensively. And honestly, it has been a long time that we, that we here in Cleveland could sit back and say, you know what, I think we finally got our quarterback. I mean, it has been forever since that happened. Greg, one of the uh, more interesting signings to Davion Clowney, obviously, but this is a Clowney that uh, seems to fly on reputation at this point, didn't do much for the Titans last year. Uh, what do you expect from him in this Browns defense this year? Well, he's got a lot to prove. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that he's got to stay healthy and he's got to be effective. And I think the, the fact that uh, um, uh, it, when, you, when you look at, you know, uh, Miles Garrett on one side and him on the other side, um, you got a pretty good tandem. And I think that that defensive line, especially from the defensive end position, uh, is going gonna, is gonna to be very interesting to watch this year in the NFL. Um, uh, but, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, he really needs to, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of hype uh, involved with him. He now has to show the world that he actually is what uh, everyone thought he was or what he, he thought he was. And uh, I think he's been humbled. 
uh, and I think um, it's going to be very interesting to see. But I think a lot of people are counting him to be counting on him to be very effective this year. Greg, one of the things I like to do going into the season is sort of universally apply benefit of the doubt. So if everything breaks right for the Browns, but everything also breaks right for the the Bills and the Chiefs, who I think are two of the ultimate uh, the best teams in the AFC. Where does this team stack up with them in your mind? Well, I still think the Chiefs are the, you know, they're the cream of the crop. Um, and, um, you know, we're going to find out a little on Sunday. I, I, I will say this. I've always said this. Um, first couple of games of the year, um, it's really hard to judge a team ultimately what they're going to be. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a scenario. I could see the Browns winning Sunday, but the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl. I mean, I really can see that. Uh, and that might happen, uh, you know, in a couple of days here. I think the Browns are right with the, the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. I really do. Um, but as you know, injuries play a, a big part. Um, I think one of the things, you know, no one ever wants to uh, put a microscope on the kicker. Uh, but I think uh, this, if there's going to be an Achilles heel for the Browns this year, it could be their kicker. Chase McLaughlin is their kicker for now. Um, but um, – it's not like the Browns are completely sold on him. And if you want to be there at the end of the year, your kicker's got to make some big time kicks. And we're gonna we're gonna be sitting at the edge of our seats wondering if uh, if uh, Chase is gonna be able to get that done this year. And honestly, we have no idea if he can do it. You can check him out on WTAM in Cleveland. Greg, Brenda, Greg, really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thanks for hanging out with me, my friend. Oh, no problem. Appreciate it. You know what's interesting to me through all of this, and I, again, it's my non hot takery here. The chapter on Baker Mayfield will not be written after one game. It will not be written after two games. The chapter on Baker Mayfield, this chapter, this defining chapter of who he is as a quarterback, will be written at the end of the season. And we're going to give hot takes based on what happens week one. That's what we all do because we have to talk about it as it goes. I would just caution everybody to remember that we've been incredibly up and incredibly down on Baker. Let's not make the same mistake that we've made in the last few years over the course of the next few weeks. Coming up, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of 9-11, so we'll talk to a former big leaguer reflecting on what the day was like for him and his team. That's coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Tomorrow's a very heavy day for a lot of us, obviously, and uh, I I think most of us, if you're my age, I'm, I'm 44, but I think for a lot of us, you just remember where you were on 9-11 and the 20th anniversary hits particularly harder uh, for a lot of us as we look back uh, on the day and I don't want all of that to be lost with everything else we've talked about so we're going to be joined now on the Goodyear hotline by Paul Konerko who played 16 seasons with the White Sox from 94 to 2014 he was with the White Sox on 9-11 they were supposed to play in New York that day so Paul I really appreciate your time let's look back on that day you just flown into New York for what was going to be just another day on the calendar and then the events of the day unfolded. What's the thing you remember most about that day? Oh, man, there's a lot of things. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, the, the funny thing about that that uh, that day was, you know, we had played in Cleveland, I think, the night before and had two or three rain delays in Cleveland. So after the game, in a night game and traveling to the East Coast from there, you know, we didn't we didn't get into New York until very late, like almost 4 a.m. I think we were on a bus riding to the hotel close to 4 a.m. So, you know, I can I can remember a couple guys on the on the bus looking at the skyline and talking about, okay, well, there's the Empire State Building, well, there's the trade towers, 
you know, like having that conversation on the bus in the middle of the night at 4 a.m., four hours before all of it happened. Um, so I, I do remember that being like one of the eeriest things of the whole entire, um, you know, saga of what we had to go through. Um, now, fast forward to the next morning, I, you know, again, we got in really late. Um, I don't think I fell asleep till after 6 a.m. Um, most guys wait to get their suitcase and all that. So I waited up to get it and make sure it was all unpacked. That way, when I got up in the morning, it would all be ready. Um, and, I, and I woke up in the morning around 1030 to a hotel alarm going off very loud. Um, you know, just saying there's a, a police investigation going on in the street, remain in your room, uh, kind of something of that nature. And, you know, the first thought is just, it's, you know, standard New York crime kind of thing. It's not anything like it was. And kind of sat there for a second. I look at my hotel light, it's blinking. And, um, you know, for a message, I called to the, the concierge or to the, the hotel operator. And I said, you know, it says I have a message. And she says, yes, uh, your, your, your traveling secretary, Ed Kasson, um, says that your game tonight is canceled. The series is canceled. They're going to try and get you out of town as soon as possible. And I, the first thought was weather. You know, that's the only thing that really ever cancels games is weather. So I, I just thought, I said, is the weather bad? And she said, you don't know what happened. And I said, no. She says, turn on your TV. So I turned on the TV and at that point they were just playing a replay of the second plane hitting the building. And I thought it was live. And I was like, Oh my God, look at this, you know? And at that point started to put the pieces together and uh, a couple guys on the team, we got together. And if you remember, that was a situation where there's still so many planes unaccounted for in the air. And the first thought, I forget who said it, it might've been Sean Lowe who was on that team. He said, well, let's just get out of the hotel because, again, we were staying in, in Grand Central Station. And he said, I can remember him saying, well, let's just walk towards the trade centers because they've already hit there. Because, you know, there were so many more landmarks and, you know, places that would be of interest to, to, to fly a plane into being in Grand Central Station. And it was kind of like a, you got to be kidding me. Like, we're having this conversation. Like, we just got, we had a game last night. We're supposed to have a game tonight. We're talking about trying to get out of the way of planes, you know. And, uh, we just started to walk. It's about a three mile walk. And we got down as close as we could to where the trade towers were. And, and, um, you know, we got stopped. We, we got further enough to where we could see debris on the ground, smoke, all that. But I would say we probably got stopped maybe a half mile short of it. So one of the things that was interesting in reading some of y'all's experiences was just trying to figure out how to navigate you back to Chicago with everything being shut down. Walk me through a little bit of the chaos of trying to figure out how to get back home for you. Yeah, I mean, there's not much. I mean, obviously, you know, at that moment, you know, baseball is very small. Um, it's a very, you know, small thing in the world. Um, you know, it, it truly always is. But when you're playing it and you're kind of going through it, um, you know, you kind of think it's a big deal all the time. And so it, that was probably the first thing. You just realized, hey, you know, th there was no um, there was a lot of, you know, we were in limbo on what was going to happen, where we were going to go, how are we going to get out? Was the season going to be? postponed or suspended no one really knew any of the answers but I just remember you know not anybody really you know usually everybody has an opinion and everybody's got a, a stance or doesn't like something about this or that I just remember everybody being very whatever like you know whatever we're told to do we do and um, you know there was a sense of, of, of everybody being a little scared I think and just kind of uh, knowing that this was such a gigantic event that there's so much bigger than everybody uh, involved and just a sad event. Um, you know, so I, I think we just kind of hung tight. I can remember going, you know, um, one of the things I definitely remember was being in Times Square that night and it being empty, you know, and just that's bizarre in itself. It was like a scene out of a movie where 
all the lights were going and all the, you know, anybody who's been to Times Square knows what it looks like, just minus people, you know, so it almost looked like some sort of, you know, Hollywood movie, very few people on the streets. And, you know, we got word that we were going to bus back to, uh, I think the original word was that we were going to bus to Cleveland or bus just start heading West and that we would get word on what was going to go on with the season. And I think we started to go and then somewhere during the drive, uh, it came out that they had, you know, canceled the season for the week or postponed the season for a week. And so we just kept on heading all the way back to Chicago. I think it was about 16, 17 hours and uh, made a couple stops along the way and, and just got home and then just kind of waited around. And then I think later in the week we had a couple workouts and, um, that was that. We're talking to Paul Konerko, Major League Baseball player, former <clears throat> Major League Baseball player, who was playing for the White Sox uh, on 9-11 as we uh, get near that 20-year anniversary. Uh, not by any design, obviously, but on September 18th, the Major League Baseball season resumed, and it happened to be that the Yankees were playing in Chicago against you guys. Uh, take me back to that game and, and that moment and sort of what was going through your mind when not only you got back to what you're used to doing, but did it against the Yankees. Yeah, I just remember there being um, a general feeling of really everybody kind of not wanting to be out there, you know, because, again, at that point, I think everybody had over the the week after it had happened, you know, just started understood everything of of everything that was kind of uh, the reasoning behind it and all the lives that were lost and just all the tragedy that came along with this. And so. And we weren't in the race or anything like that. Uh, Not that that would have mattered, but, you know, I just remember there being a general feeling of like, we're going to play out the string kind of thing. And you go out there as a professional and you play. Um, But I just, I just remember it didn't really, I don't think uh, the rest of the way our team really, it, it just felt like we're doing this. And there was that small little piece of like, this is taking people's minds off it. I guess that's probably the, the best I could say about, you know, of how it felt out there is that maybe we are kind of giving a service here of being on the field and people have something to watch and take their minds off of this. But other than that, I just really remember it being very, just, it just wasn't, it was not fun and it was not something that, um, you know, you you wanted to be doing uh, with everything going on. Yeah. It's interesting when you say that because I was in music at the time and touring was such a difficult thing to, to come to grips with. Like, how do you stand up on stage, but you need to stand up on stage you know, as much as you think you're providing a service, like how did you mentally focus personally through all of that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I, I can just, you know, like everybody can remember, it was almost like, was it even okay to like laugh? You know, like if someone even said something that you, like at what point was it okay to kind of be normal again, to laugh or to have fun? And then I think it crossed the line where, you know, it just kind of becomes contagious where people say, listen, if we're not doing those things, they win, you know, and that that kind of like, this is our way of American life of how we're going to live. And if we keep, if we stop doing those things, then this is much more than this goes on. And and it's kind of like the attack keeps going on forever if we don't. So I just, there was that time where it kind of like, I think there was uh, initially, it was like everybody was in shock and kind of just shook. And and then it kind of crosses over to like, okay, you know what? we'll show you we're going to even be, you know, the most American we can be, which is just have fun, you know, laugh, party, you know, and, and just have a good time. And just all across the board, not, not just baseball players, but everybody involved. And I think everybody can relate to that in their own lives as they, as they lived it. But um, yeah, it was definitely bizarre. And uh, you know, I just um, definitely when we went back to New York, that's probably the last piece of this equation with our being in New York, leaving New York, 
you know, and then and then go, going back to play the Yankees for them to make up those games. Um, you know, I remember we stayed in a different hotel way way on the, the I think it's the east side there, where very far away from the buildings as much as we could. That we had some guys on our team that just were uncomfortable going back there, and it just was uh, it just you know definitely guys were not looking forward to the trip back to New York. That's for sure. And then for years, actually, actually after that, there was guys that just never wanted to go back there after, you know, it's always difficult again to go back and relive these things, but it's important as we hit the 20 year anniversary to remember the date, Paul, I really appreciate your time, your stories and your insight on all this. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Yeah, I appreciate it guys. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for having me on through all of the greatness that we will have tomorrow of college football and fun games. Let's not forget to take a moment and just think back. It's going to be a reflective day, obviously, for so many of us and an important day. Uh, Spain and Fitz, there's no easy way to transition back to something lighthearted and fun. I'm going to do my best to do that next. There's one takeaway going into Monday night that everybody needs to know about, not the Raiders, but the newest market in the NFL. I'll tell you what it is, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. I'm not going to be here on Monday. I mean, I'll be here in little hits, but I'm not going to be here on Monday because I'm going to be in Vegas. And, you know, it's funny. I talked a little bit to Freddie Coleman last night about this on Freddie and Fitzsimmons. But there's one thing that nobody's talking enough about when it comes to what's going to happen Monday night. Now, you're going to hear a lot of preview Monday morning about the game. You're going to hear a lot of preview about what the Ravens are going to do uh, to make up for the depleted injury roster. You're going to hear a lot about what the Raiders should expect from their defense. You're going to hear a lot about the pressure on John Gruden. The one thing you're not going to hear about is actually the most important thing in this game, the crowd. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm a Raiders fan, and I'm not just saying that because I'm from Vegas. We've seen proof of concept it over the weekend. Go back to North Carolina and take it on Virginia Tech. I sincerely believe one of the biggest differences in that game last week was inner Sandman playing as the uh, crowd went nuts. Think about the, the some of the most incredible moments we've seen. Camp Randall Stadium jump around. Didn't result in a win, but still, that momentum, that energy. We have, as a collective community, no idea what NFL energy looks like in, in Vegas. None. I don't know if you saw this, but even Derek Carr took to the media to say, hey, guys, remember, when we have the ball, we need you to be quiet. Think about that. Vegas has not had an NFL team. And we just take that for granted. In fact, Vegas hasn't really had a a, a relevant college football team. Sorry, UNLV. I want you all to be relevant. I do. I, I, I do. But we've seen what Vegas crowds can be like. When I was a kid, the UNLV crowds around Stacey Ogman and Larry Johnson at the Thomas and Mack Center for the Running Rebels. Epic. We've seen over the last couple of years what the Golden Knights can look like when they get on a run, right? Those crowds. Fire. Now, a lot of people have speculated ever since the move was announced that the team was going to go to Vegas. You, you have Oakland diehards who I respect the hell out of. That have come out and said, well, you know, it's all going to be casino people. And I'll go back to my music days. Nothing is worse than playing a casino show in Las Vegas. As a kid from Las Vegas, nothing is worse. Nobody's from there. Most of it's a bunch of VIPs that don't know your music. They sit in the first three, four rows with their arms crossed, unimpressed by everything. Is there going to be that that group? Yeah, for sure there is. There's going to be people in suites that were given, you know, the seven diamonds in suites that were given free tickets that aren't going to be engaged in the game. We know that. But I also know this. I know that I tried to buy season tickets. I attempted to buy tickets to the Raiders game. 
And by the time they got to me, and I put my reservation down the day the tickets were announced to go on sale, by the time they got to me, there were only single seats left. So for everybody that thinks that that crowd's not going to be hype, I think you're wrong. But I think it's one of the most interesting things about this team coming into the year that we absolutely can't anticipate. What's a Vegas crowd sound like? What are the acoustics like? I've heard the acoustics for concerts. Not so great in that uh, in, in the Death Star. But in Legion Stadium, what are the acoustics like? You know when you go to Kansas City what to expect from Arrowhead. You know what to expect from Mile High. You know what to expect in all the wrong ways at this point from SoFi Stadium, right? You know what to expect Soldier Field. You know what to expect at Foxborough. You have no idea what to expect in Vegas. You have no idea what that home crowd's going to be like. And what we don't know is the, the end zone club, is it going to make it a better party atmosphere? Or is it going to make it a less engaged atmosphere? Are eventually uh, away fans going to use this as the game they have to come to? Maybe. But for right now, the story on Tuesday morning, I think, is going to be about the electric energy coming from a stadium in a city that's never had NFL football before. And for all of the relocations we've seen, you know, when you start talking about teams going into to markets and you talk about the Chargers and the Rams, you talk about even prior to that, relocation to St. Louis. All of those places have had football before. When you're talking about no NFL football, you've got to go all the way back to the Jacksonvilles of the world, to the Nashvilles. It's been a long time since we've seen that. And I think one of the things that needs to happen now is an identity needs to be born in Las Vegas as a Raiders town. I've been telling you all weekend, by the way, you got one. What's the one game you're going to watch? I want to get the guys' thoughts on this, too. Uh, You know, realistically, for me, if I'm going to say I got one game to watch and I'm not picking my own game, I still think that at the end of the day, it's Browns-Chiefs. That one, to me, is the biggest one because there's so much on the line. And I respect the heck out of both teams that are involved in it now. That being said, Stosh, producer extraordinaire, you are a Chiefs fan. So where is that for you? Where, what, what is your one game you have to watch? Well, that is certainly number one. Okay. Um, because it's the Chiefs, and it's a huge game, and it's a season opener, and I love Patty Holmes. But I am going to give you one off the beaten path that nobody outside of Kansas City probably cares about. And I do for so good, do so for good reason. Royals Twins, two of the worst teams in the American League Central. But here's the reason why. People who are not paying attention should know. There is something incredibly special going on in Kansas City right now. Salvador Perez, 42 home runs. He is three shy of Johnny Bench's Major League record for home runs by a catcher in a season. 104 RBIs. Uh, this guy is having a special season, potentially historic season. Nobody's paying attention for obvious reasons, and I get it. But just putting that out there. I'm, I'm watching Salvi trying to make some history here. Uh, look, that's a great answer. And by the way, as we continue to do this and we get closer and closer to the season, uh, to the end of the season for Major League Baseball, I expect there to be more ma- baseball representation. Now, Renee, you work on the show and are a Jets fan. So are yeah. we going for the Sam Darnold Revenge Bowl? Is your, you got one? Uh, no. I mean, that would be a game that I would sit down and watch. Uh, but I am also going the baseball route, as Stash is. Yankees Mets are playing this weekend. I am a Yankee fan. Uh, obviously, with the whole 9 11, uh, you know, <laughs> this guy, Chris Mitchell, just <laughs> running yeah. and screaming. Uh, with the whole 9 11, you know, remembrance and whatnot over the weekend on, uh, well, tomorrow, basically, 
the weekend is sort of going to be whether the Yankees are going to make it to the playoffs or not. So, you know, right now it's not looking too good, but that's what I'm going to be focusing on. I think the 9-11 aspect of watching Yankees-Mets play is particularly special. And look, we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, We also have a Service Academy game this weekend, obviously, as Navy will be taking on Air Force, and those jerseys look amazing that they're playing in. But it's a real moment, and I can't say this loud enough for everybody. We we need to stop all of the madness long enough to just remember where you were 20 years ago to remember what that moment felt like and remember everybody coming together. Uh, I hope that can happen through the course of of just what it means for all of us to live through 9-11 every year in our memories. It's something that needs to burn bright so that we remember uh, how we responded to that moment. I'll always think of that as one of the positive parts of uh, an absolutely horrific event. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up next. They always do a great job getting you covered and ready for the weekend. LeBron joining them tonight. Be sure to check it out. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.